Hi, Sarah. Hi, Alison. So, what's going on in France these days?、Mm. If you look at the news, you might not know that there are parliamentary elections coming up in less than two weeks. Yeah, true. Not much happening on the campaign,、mm-hmm. right? And yet, there are a lot of people involved. Six thousand two hundred ninety-three candidates running for five hundred and seventy-seven seats in national assembly. These people are going to be making laws. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And after the presidential elections in April, there was a lot of talk about these elections being kind of the third round、mm-hmm. as a way to sort of Give a check to power of the president, that kind of thing. But it's kind of died down now. The excitement of it, and it's not really clear what the issues even are. No, far from it. The French are very preoccupied by things like inflation. There's also a lot of uncertainty with the war going on in Ukraine. Yeah, and the candidates are maybe not keen to to deeply wade into、mm-hmm. this uncertainty. And plus, I mean, I guess coming so soon after the presidentials, maybe there's just no more energy for running these campaigns. Yeah, the main politicians, people like Macron and Le Pen, they've been really silent、mm. uh, on the legislatives and. Opinion polls suggest that turnout could be under fifty percent. So you might say the most interesting part of this race is what's happening on the left. I mean, the left is famously splintered in France. Yeah, we have the socialists, but also the communists,、mm-hmm. the anti-capitalists. You name it; it's very, very broad. Yeah, yeah, lots of splintering groups. And for the first time since the nineteen seventies, the left today has managed to unify itself. In these legislative elections, so this is at the urging of the hard left leader Jean Luc Mélenchon, who came in with twenty percent in the first round of the presidential election, so in third place. Yeah, just barely getting there. He could have gone in a couple points more, and he would、mm. have been in the second round instead of Marine Le Pen. So anyway, he's now called on the socialists and on the Greens and the far left to come together so that they could win enough seats in Parliament to make him prime minister, and, and it worked. So the NUPES, the New Popular. Ecological and social union now brings together Mélenchon's France Unbound Party, the French Green Party, the Socialists, and the Communists. And their agreement means that they're fielding only one candidate per district. So those who would have run on all these different tickets are now rallying behind one person. In one district here in Paris, the Nupes candidate is a first timer, Caroline Mecari. It's a lawyer for LGBT rights. She's never been involved in party politics, though many of her cases have affected、mm. policies. I met up with her last week as she and volunteers were handing out flyers at a busy intersection. Bonjour, madame. C'est pour les élections législatives. Bonjour. C'est pour les élections législatives. Bonjour, madame. C'est pour les élections législatives. Hello. This is for the legislative elections. Caroline Mecari quickly approaches people as they go in and out of a supermarket on a busy street corner. Bonjour, madame. C'est pour les élections législatives. She pushes leaflets into their hands. On them is her photo, alongside Jean-Luc Mélenchon, the head of the France Unbound movement, who is determined to become prime minister if this union of leftist parties wins a majority in parliament. Mekari's quick. She has a lot of energy. She's slight of build. She has short cropped gray hair. Today she's wearing a red leather jacket and a gray hoodie underneath. She's not shy. I campaign with my personality. I'm very direct and I have strong convictions. When you're a lawyer, you have to have convictions. I'm very sure of what I say, which is why people listen to me. I'll often ask people questions. This is not something I put on. It comes naturally, and I find it works well. It gets the conversation going. That's me, the candidate. She tells people who look up when she draws attention to the fact that she is the one actually running for office. For de vrai, je suis là. 
Là, la dame, là, sur le bulletin, c'est moi. That's me for real, the lady on the flyer, she says. Mekari is a lawyer who's argued cases that contributed to France's passing same-sex marriage in 2013 and which helped push lawmakers towards allowing lesbian couples and single women to have access to sperm donations to have children last year. Though she's worked closely with lawmakers, she never thought of becoming one of them. I would never have imagined that one day I'd run for a seat in Parliament, because it's so complex. These are very coveted positions, and as I'm not a member of any political party, I did not see how it would be possible. In December, she was asked by the France Unbowed Party to join a parliament of the people to guide the party's presidential and legislative election campaigns. She said yes, as she agrees with what the party stands for. And then, earlier this year, she was asked if she would run. I was surprised, but I said yes, because it's a great challenge. I'm passionate about law, and this is really the continuation of that. I said, yes, let's go for it. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. It's been a lot of work. She had to put together a team, find a campaign manager, a policy director, figure out logistics, organize public events. One of the trickiest parts has been the need to bring together all the disparate elements that are running on this ticket, the mixture of Greens, Socialists and Communists that make up the NUPES. This district in Paris is coveted. The candidate for President Emmanuel Macron's party is a minister, Clément Beaune, Secretary of State for European Affairs. In previous years, there were at least four candidates on the left in this district. One from Mélenchon's France Unbowed Party, one Green, one Socialist, one Communist, plus other smaller groups. Now there's just one. Mikari recognizes that she's showing up as an outsider with no political experience. I've had to make links and rebuild ties with the representatives of the other political parties. It's not always easy, but I hold out my hand and I keep on holding it out. Because the left really has an opportunity to stop these neoliberal policies through the legislative elections. Some people respond really well to me. Then obviously I meet people who say, oh no, not Mélenchon. Don't tell me you aren't going to vote for us, she says incredulously to a man who says he supports the left but will not vote for the union. Certainly not, he says. He wants a sixth constitution, he says, referring to Mélenchon. What's wrong with the fifth? You will not convince me, he tells her. In any case, in five years' time, it won't be me. I will not run again. I'll be 65 years old. That'll be enough. So this term will be very important for me. I'll give it everything I've got. And after that, there are others, the younger people. We need to step aside for them. So, can she win? Well, hard to tell. I mean, the district went to Macron's party in the last election. Um, it's not the most leftist of districts, not the most right either. I'd say more centrist. In mm -hmm. any case, Mikari does need to get 12% of the vote to make it into the second round, at least. With the United Left, she'll probably make it.
So I was looking, Sarah, at the, the makeup of all these candidates throughout France. Mm. Um, the oldest is a 92-year-old woman. Oh, 92, yeah. all yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, still going strong. A centrist ecologist. She's running in the Ardennes in eastern France. 21 of the candidates are just 18 years old. Oh, young ones. Yeah, yeah, which is in a way is quite a good sign, isn't sure. it? It shows people taking an interest in politics, even youth. Um, the most common surname is Martin. Oh, that's not surprising. <laughs> I mean, that's generally one of the most common last names in France. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, Philippe and Isabel are the most common first names amongst oh. the candidates. Okay. Yeah, and interestingly, France Inter Radio crushed the data. They came up with a profile of your typical candidate in this year's elections, and it is Da, 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 da. Uh, a 49-year-old man in management and his name is Philippe Martin. Britain is celebrating Queen Elizabeth's 70th jubilee, so the 70th anniversary of her taking the throne. It's a mammoth event in the UK, Sarah, uh, where I was born, mm. but it's also being marked here in France. Yeah, yeah. I mean, British royalty are fascinating to the French. Mm. I mean, I guess I'd say royalty in general. You've got, like, the Monaco royalty is regularly making the fashion people pages. Yeah. There's also this historical tie, of course, between Britain and France. Yeah, it turns out Queen Elizabeth is really a Francophone file. Mm. Uh, she's visited France more than any other foreign country. She's made five state visits and plenty of unofficial and private ones. French President Emmanuel Macron will light the flame today, Thursday, on the tomb of the unknown soldier under the Arc de Triomphe in honor of the Queen. And in northern France, symbolic landmarks along the coast will be illuminated to mirror what's happening across the channel. It turns out the Queen actually holds the title of Duke of Normandy. Duke? Yeah, Duke, not Duchess. Okay. The Channel Islands are the only remaining parts of the Duchy of Normandy under British rule. France took over the rest in 1259. Hmm. So France and Britain have not always been friends, but the good relations date back to 1904 with an agreement, the Entente Cordial, brokered by King Edward VII and the French Foreign Affairs Minister at the time, Théophile Delcassé. This ended centuries of hostilities. Elizabeth represents that entente, mm. even if there has been tension between the two governments more recently, of sure. course, over Brexit. Yeah. Now, the Queen made her first trip to France back in 1948. She was just a 21-year-old crown princess at the time, pregnant with Prince Charles. She was representing her father, King George VI, and she met French President Vincent Auriol, who wanted to impress her mm. and to show France's gratitude to Britain for helping to liberate Europe from the Nazis. Auriol had her visit Versailles, a very symbolic visit. Sure, a queen going to Versailles, yeah. or a future queen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she officially visited Versailles on two other occasions, once in 1957 to reaffirm Franco-British ties after the Suez Crisis, when French, British and Israeli troops invaded Egypt after it nationalised the Suez Canal. They withdrew after the Soviet Union got involved and the US got them to stand down. Mm. Another Versailles visit was in 1972, when the Queen was on on a diplomatic tour of Europe to mark the UK's entry into the European single market. And then in 2004, Queen Elizabeth came to France to mark the centenary of the Entente Cordiale. Yeah, and she made a speech to the French Senate then in her perfect French. Mm. Cet anniversaire donne un sens particulier à ma visite d'État, la quatrième que j'ai effectuée en France. 
This anniversary gives special meaning to my four-state visit to France, she said. It's a moment to celebrate the agreement that laid the foundations for an alliance that allowed both countries to face the difficulties of the 20th century. And then she went on. Nous deux pays ont choisi de faire de l'Europe et de l'Union européenne le principal vecteur de leur aspiration économique et politique. Our two countries have chosen to make Europe and the European Union the main vector for their economic and political aspirations. Yeah, impeccable French, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And very interesting to hear her saying that as, uh, well, 12 years later, the UK voted to leave the Union. So, Sarah, there is a guy in a tree in Paris at the moment, and he's attracting a lot of attention. A guy in a tree. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> okay, tell me more. <laughs> His name is Thomas Braille. He's an arborist from the south of France, and he's set up camp in a 200-year-old plane tree at the foot of the Eiffel Tower, no less. Mm, a plane tree. So those are the trees that line the avenues of many French cities, especially in the south. Yeah, it's an iconic part of the French landscape mm. in a way, you know. But some people would like to get rid of them. Ah. They can get diseased sure. and then, you know, you need to chop them down, obviously. Um, and some people say that they're a bit dangerous because oh. they can cause accidents. People sort of run into them inadvertently. I see, it's the tree's fault, not yeah, the car's of course, fault. Exactly, exactly. Anyway, 300 people a year die running into plane trees. Ah, But I yeah. guess this guy in the tree doesn't really want these trees to be cut down for that reason or others. I no. mean, he wants to keep them, right? Yeah. Totally. I set up a a national tree surveillance group in 2019. He says trees are our allies in the fight against climate change Ah. and they need protecting. Of course, trees do play an important role, in, especially in urban areas, don't they? They filter pollution from the air, they absorb CO2 emissions, they provide a canopy against the heat, and of course, they contribute to biodiversity. Bray says France doesn't do enough to protect them, and so he's climbed up one to draw attention to this. Mm, yeah, this is not the first time he's done this, right? No, in 2019, he spent 28 days in a plane tree mm. right next to the Ministry of Ecology. He was trying to save 25 plane trees from being felled in the town of Condon, in southwestern France near to where he lives. It didn't work. Ah. But the ecology minister at the time was Elizabeth Bourne and she sent him a message on Twitter saying she thought his fight was sincere uh, and that she wanted to do more. Ah, and so Bon, of course, has just been appointed prime minister. Mm-hmm. So I guess it does make sense to remind her what she said previously. Yeah. Um, why has this guy chosen to go up a tree at the Eiffel Tower, though? Well, it's a 200-year-old tree. It's the biggest of three ancient plane trees at the top of what's known as the Champ de Mouse. It's actually a park next to the Eiffel Tower. These trees are under threat because of a development project around the tower ahead of the 2024 Olympic Games. Paris City Hall has given planning permission to build tourist facilities like left luggage, but also souvenir shops and restaurants and offices. You could argue, couldn't you, that 
toilet facilities, for example, are very much needed. Sure, yeah. I mean, some 7 million people visit the Eiffel Tower each year and they all need to use the bathroom. <laughs> Indeed. But should you sacrifice trees in the process? Right. Especially in a city like Paris, which doesn't have very many. Yeah. And I mean, we have all these bike lanes now being installed to reduce CO2 emissions, all kinds of environmental, you know, things being put in place. But then you cut down trees that absorb CO2 and filter the air. So a number of environmental groups have been campaigning very hard to get the Eiffel Tower development project scrapped. A little bit of progress has been made about the number of trees that would be cut down, but it's not enough to satisfy the protesters. I went along to meet Thomas Braille and other tree defenders to find out why. Perched in the foliage, 14 metres above the ground, Thomas Braille is addressing the media about the urgent need to protect trees in France. The birds are chirping alongside as if in approval. Next to him, you can spot a small tent and a hammock, and dozens of ropes are hanging down from the branches. Once he's finished, the slim, muscular figure starts winching his way down the 200-year-old plane tree, his feet tapping gently against its broad, knobbly trunk. Hey, watch out! You're damaging the plane tree! A member of the tree surveillance group shouts, pointing to his red sneakers. Hi, Thomas. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. Thank you. Voilà, you can't come any lower. C'est pas possible de descendre un tout petit peu. He agrees to come down so we can talk, but remains suspended in mid-air, keeping in contact with the tree. We're in this symbolic plane tree because it was protected by Gustave Eiffel when the Eiffel Tower was being built. It's older than the tower itself. It's too bad that we prefer to pay attention to a building, an iron monument that doesn't provide oxygen and doesn't decarbonize the planet, rather than this poor plane tree which was there before it and does such a great job. Big old trees like this are also havens for biodiversity, says Praille. They provide shelter for cave-dwelling birds, bats, insects, and maybe animals too. The older these trees are, as long as they are safe and healthy, the more biodiversity they offer. That's why we have to conserve these old guys. A couple of tourists stop and stare. I have never seen uh, actually a situation like this, but you know, that looks interesting. Perhaps it's the best idea to have such an accommodation in Paris. Tanya and Ina are confused, but once they understand the context, the young women are supportive. It's a nice idea, but the first thing is our environment and our nature. Yeah. I believe that's going to be very hot here in summer, so trees can make a nice shadow here. Yeah, they give a lot of shade. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, with the help of the leaves, it looks much more better, you know? No doubt. A number of Paris-based environmental groups who are opposing the Eiffel Tower development project known as One Paris are thrilled at the publicity Braille is bringing to their cause. The huge plane tree doesn't just contribute to the ecosystem, it's also part of French heritage, living history in every sense of the word, says Tanguy Le Dantec, a tree expert and scientific advisor with the NGO France Nature Environment. A lot of plane trees were actually planted in the late years of uh, Napoleon I. 
not because he was a, a lover of tree, of course, <laughs> but because he wanted to provide shade for his army to travel. So In the south of France, and sometimes it got very hot. Most in southern France, but in the same period of time, many of them were planted, nonetheless, in Paris. It thrived pretty well. So it was planted just in 1814. And you have three survivors of uh, this bird here in the Champ de Mars. And uh, they were protected by uh, Gustave Eiffel. He was a tree lover and he, he proved it many times when he had a large project. He went to a great amount of work to protect trees. Okay. Yeah. He specifically protected this one here. This one here, this one here. At that time they were probably dozens of uh, plane trees and amongst those dozens only three survives up to now and they are more than 200 years old okay. and this one is the largest it's 50 tons 50 tons 50 wow. tons okay. of living thing it's living it's, history yes living history because in france we had a lot of uh, different governments so this tree it has known two empires, two monarchies, four republics, two occupations and countless wars. So it's history yeah. itself. It is history, it is somehow patrony, but most of all, it is life itself. It is life in the very heart of the densest city in Europe. So it's a life we must cherish. But these trees are not being cherished. Worse, the Eiffel Tower commercial project threatens their very existence, says Le Dantec. After 140,000 people signed their petition for the project to be ditched, City Hall announced it would cut down fewer trees and none that are more than 100 years old. But this won't save the plain trees, Le Dantec says, because France allows construction work up to six metres away from a tree. And for old ones with big roots, that can be fatal. The critical root zone here is up to 24 meters around the tree. And the current project aims to build something only six meters away from this plane tree. So if this building is built, it means that all these trees will be destroyed eventually. They will die. And it has already happened here in the Champ de Mars. Many old trees uh, died just after this barrier was built a few years ago. Many of them uh, died the following year. So just making this barrier, you mean? And, yes, the, and yes. the entrance uh, to the Eiffel Tower? That was enough to disturb yeah, the roots? Absolutely. The older the tree is, the more fragile the roots are, in fact. An old tree is not like a young one. A young one can regenerate, it can adapt very well. But an old one has adapted already. So if you destroy its immediate surroundings, it cannot adapt as before. Okay, a bit like people. Yes, and it will lie. Would therefore the solution be to build what they want to build on the other side of the Eiffel Tower where there aren't any plain trees? Somewhere else, somewhere else, but not in the vicinity of old trees. Since Thomas Braille started camping in the big plane tree, the deputy mayor of Paris has already dropped by and given verbal assurances that there would be discussions with environmental groups about how to proceed. So a window has at least been opened. But Braille's demands are much wider than the trees around the Eiffel Tower. 
He wants to boost tree protection nationwide because he sees growing dangers. France's environmental code is quite strong and bans the cutting down of healthy trees in urban areas. But Braille is dismayed by an exception put into place in February to accommodate development and urban planning. He wants tighter regulations on the practice of clear felling, where large areas of forest are cut down at the same time, destroying biodiversity. It's becoming more and more widespread as France seeks to increase its timber stocks. Trees are threatened because we're turning our forests into industrial forests, so there's a huge loss of biodiversity. Our ecosystem will collapse if we continue with this highly industrialized economic model. We can take wood from the forests, but not in the way we are doing it. It's too violent for the forests. We all know the planet is heating up because we don't have enough trees. It's as simple as that. So that's it for Spotlight on France. This episode was mixed by Cécile Pompiani. Spotlight on France is a production of the English service of Radio France International. We'd love to hear from you, so why not send us a note at spotlight.france at rfi.fr. Oublie la ville. Find us on Instagram, Spotlight on France, or previous episodes at rfienglish.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Le ciel And we'll be back on Thursday, June the 16th. Bye bye, Sarah. Bye, Alison. Écoute la rivière, c'est personne pour vous regarder. Contre un arbre Contre un arbre Contre un arbre